Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 76 for Monday, February 17th, 2020. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny the Mountain Man, but you may know him better as Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello, my beard is growing longer every time anybody calls me the Mountain Man. It just kind of <laughs> adds another inch or so. Hi! Uh, yeah, we, we've been chatting a little bit about those mountains in the render distance, along with Canadian weather, a couple of other podcasts, and various other things, confronting realizations about our Minecraft worlds as the, uh, the, the days and months and updates roll on. And you can hear more about that uh, by listening to the render distance, which you can get from patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. Patrons get access to an extended version of the podcast with a little bit of extra conversation up top and at the end of the show a little bit of housekeeping as well uh holy gold ingots did we get a lot of email over the last week uh, well, we, we told people you. to email us so that's yeah to be we there. did yeah uh, people have thoughts and feelings about another update uh and it is very very apparent and i uh, really appreciate everyone using uh the spawnchunks at gmail.com as the address to send that kind of stuff Obviously, we can't get to all of it. We're probably going to overlap a lot of questions and stuff in our general discussion of the latest snapshot this week. So um, hopefully kind of your question about what we think will be answered in there. Uh, let's not spam us, though. Uh, sending your <laughs> sending your message once via email is enough. Uh, no need to send it twice. No need to copy and paste the exact same email into multiple platforms yes if you've emailed us we have seen it we can't reply to everything we can't always read everything on the show we do occasionally do these chunk mail dispenser episodes where we will read a lot of emails to kind of clear our backlog but at this point the podcast thankfully has a large enough audience that we are probably getting more email than we can ever really address on the yes. show or in person so thank you for those we do read them but if we don't get to respond to your email in particular it's probably because somebody else had a similar line of questioning or just because it's not the kind of thing that we feel like is gonna make a good discussion topic for the show but yeah we try our best and we do see all of the emails that you're sending in and on mass they kind of come together and kind of create a direction as to where we're you know what we're going to talk about next like when there's we, a vibe there's a vibe yeah definitely. when you see like oh hey look there's a lot of nether update questions so let's continue to talk about the nether update on the show because that's what people want to hear about right mm -hmm. so like th that kind of stuff calls through uh speaking of email though the spunchunks at gmail.com is where you can send some emails on the topic for next week and that topic may in fact be a guest uh, Gemini Tay is going to be joining us on the monthly roundtable for February. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be talking about the Nether update features and what she thinks about those, but also her creative building process. So if you've got questions about creative play and creative building, then send them into the spawnchunks at gmail.com and we will try to incorporate in those into the conversation with Gemini Tay. We're excited to have her on the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, very excited to get somebody who is primarily a creative builder because a lot of the people we've spoken to in the past have mainly been survival builders or survival players in general. Uh, links to all of Gemini Tay's various social things, including YouTube, Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter, are all going to be in the show notes. So head to thespawnchunks.com, check those out so you can take a look, find out what she's about, and then maybe send in a couple of questions via email so that we can address those on next week's show. We are going to outnumber you next week. Canadians yes. will be in the house. <laughs> yes, certainly will. Uh, it makes a, a change from the times when I've invited British people on the show, I guess. Uh, speaking, of, <laughs> speaking of British people, you've been uh, co-streaming with British people this week. I have been co-streaming. My uh, server mate, uh, Alistair, which, and you can find him at Alistair McFly on Twitch. Uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, because we did a co-stream together, you can watch the VOD either from his point of view or mine. 
Uh, we attempted to fix the iron farm on the Citadel this past weekend. It was a fun first time co-streaming. It took me a little while to figure out how to separate my Discord audio uh, from Minecraft and desktop audio so that both Alistair and I would be the same volume on the uh -huh. stream and the, and the Minecraft volume would be ducked underneath yep. us. Uh, took a little bit of, of, of tutorial videos <laughs> and searching to get that sorted out, uh, but very satisfying when it's done and working correctly, which is great. Um, we had a lot of fun. It was very challenging to monitor the chat room while talking with Alistair. I could, I could definitely say that I did not engage with the chat as often as I normally would, uh, but I made that clear to everybody. Um, however, the iron farm design that I know I've mentioned at least in the render distance on the spawn chunks, if not the main show uh, from Glyfa, uh, doesn't seem to work on servers and. I'm a little stumped on how to fix it at the moment. So for a quick summation, it's it's three beds with a trapdoor. And every time the villagers walk across the trapdoor, they lose sight of a zombie. And then when they go up on a bed, they gain sight of the zombie. And that is supposed to kind of like refresh their memory and say like, oh, crap, we need to summon an iron golem. And then it falls into the water, lava dies, etc. cetera. Um, when the villagers are running around, it works as designed. When they go to sleep and when they wake up in the morning, all the villagers land on the trapdoor and will not path anywhere else. They will not move. And therefore, they cannot get to their um, profession blocks to check in in the morning. And then they can't summon an iron golem because it feels like there's a sleep, work, check for zombie kind of like checklist that they go through. Uh, and so they just stand there on the trapdoor. And unless I throw a snowball at them to separate them and get them bumping up, and once one sees the zombie, then they all start scurrying around and doing what they should. The farm operates as normal. As soon as the villagers go to sleep, though, it just resets and stops working. So I don't have a solution for this yet. I've tried a slab, which doesn't work because uh, they never lose sight of the zombie. Uh, I tried a uh, what's the uh, daylight sensor, which is in between a slab and a um, uh, trapdoor. Also doesn't work. Uh, so I like I'm kind of at my wits end as to wit, like what to do. Uh, we have to do a little bit more research. Uh, it was a lot of work to fix the farm, and we were excited, but it just doesn't seem to be <laughs> fruitful. Yeah, um, I'm wondering if I, I don't know how you built the farm. So this is just me pulling ideas out of the air. But I recently made a pathfinding blaze farm uh, in the Nether, where you basically remove all of the solid blocks from around the area where the blazes are going to be spawning and then build a large area of solid blocks in between these two spawners that I have and the blazes will try and pathfind specifically to that area of solid blocks and that's how you get them to fall down a hole. So I wonder if maybe putting some solid blocks in there but obviously covered so that you don't end up with mobs spawning on them will still give the mm. villagers something to target and that will trick their pathfinding into working again. But if you've already got solid blocks around there that they could in theory pathfind 2 that they just can't reach because of you know the trapdoor and bed situation then i'm i'm all at sea i have no idea yeah and that's the thing that there's there's no solid blocks because you don't want the iron golems to spawn anywhere yeah uh, i mean you could still have a, a solid block and then block spawning capabilities yeah which yeah. i've done the, the profession blocks are all solid blocks i use barrels um but then i've got trapdoors on top of them so that nothing else spawns there um, it, it's a bit of a retrofit because we had the old kind of village indicator farm, which like, you know, 20 doors around in a square that was creating iron golems. Um, 
so what we did was we just re we removed one of the floors and replaced it with this zombie villager thing and then used the same catchment systems used the same mechanics to capture smelt and and store the iron yeah and so it, it's nice because i don't have to tear down an old build you know we were talking in, in the pre-show about like forever worlds and having a history and having one farm that doesn't work anymore or the fun of going back and saying all right well this update broke this farm how can i fix it or how can i improve it like you know it used to be slow and now it's fast that sort of thing um so we're hoping to get this going and seeing if just one cell will be enough to sort out um the the problem i know that in other designs in my discord someone had mentioned that the villagers leave the bed and they go into a water block and bobbing up and down is what um, allows them to see the zombie um, i know i could also put in a redstone clock uh, remove the ability for the villagers to have to get in and out of a single block and have that be what changes their view of the zombie i could put the zombie and the um what is he in he's in a composter uh on a piston you know, and have it go up and down on a redstone clock. If yeah. I wanted to have a redstone clock running all the time in my spawn chunks, which I don't. The elegance of this particular design is that there's no redstone. Yeah. It's just it's just um, pathing, random pathing mechanics, which I think is a really fun way to design farms. I think it's 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 pretty efficient too. Like I I love that blaze farm that you designed. Like that that I've done one of those, two of those on on my server. Uh, there it's a lot of digging, but it's a fairly straightforward farm. Yeah, uh, apparently, apparently Nembon followed up his video in which the the Nembon was the person I got the farm from in the first place. Uh, he has been playing Minecraft with his son, and basically they stumbled upon a version of that farm where if you make sure that there is only one area that the blazes can leave that glass cube, they will still leave it by the same route because they are still trying to pathfind to the blocks all around them. So you don't necessarily have to do as much digging as I did. The other side of that being that with all that area dug out i can effectively show the area where the blazes are trying to pathfind to by its mm. absence and so in a way i'm kind of okay with the fact that i did all that digging because that's information for the viewer you know what i mean that's like it's it's yeah. demonstrating exactly where the blazes pathfinding range should be for the sake of the tutorial but uh yeah they are they are kind of useful and it's it's really interesting seeing how that stuff works and understanding that mob behavior isn't necessarily entirely random because randomizing that as nimbon explains it would cause the game to lag so much whereas if it just checks in every 10-15 seconds does a quick calculation to see if any of the blocks around it are accessible and then tells the mob to go there that's a lot less intensive on the resources than just having them randomly move at any conceivable opportunity um mm -hmm. so it's kind of fun um in terms of iron farm solutions i don't know if you want to go ahead and remodel yours right away but i have been using doc m77 and techman 88s um iron farm which is the one that i built in my survival guide series but i've just rebuilt that in skyblock with a single cell of three villages and that's been working pretty well with the added effect that I'm able to use campfires now as the mechanism by which the iron golems are killed because in Skyblock you only have one lava source which you usually use to generate cobble. And campfires are really useful. They're effectively magma blocks but not a full block thick so they can have uh, a hopper picking up items through them which makes them really useful for the use of uh, iron golem farms in particular where normally you'd 
drop them onto either a lava source or magma blocks and that would do the damage in the case of magma blocks very slowly campfires do exactly the same amount of damage but they're not a solid block you can turn them on and off if you want to but the only real restriction on them versus magma blocks is that you can uh, put water over the top of magma blocks which you can't with campfires but i just have water streams going into a dry area with a campfire in the center their hitbox makes them too large they can't walk off the campfire if there's just a three by three around a single campfire in the center and nice. that's that's proven pretty great so far the iron just gets all picked up by a water stream underneath that and a hopper underneath the campfire just to make sure that they you don't get stuff lost by hanging out on top of the campfire itself so yeah I, yeah I, I had a, i had a number of people in my twitch chat yesterday um when i was explaining the broken farm suggest the differences between this design and doc m's design so i have to go look at doc m's design i think yeah uh, and see what i might be able to do it's fairly straightforward the, the problem of course is that it's survival so you see a lot of these iron farms with zombies and villagers and stuff being built and in, in, in tutorial mode you know in creative on videos and it just looks so easy but then when you have to actually move villagers around and try <laughs> yes. to capture a zombie and get get getting the zombie in the the composter was really difficult it is um, it's, it's the most difficult part of the whole process for me yeah. and it's it's one of the reasons that i i died in my skyblock world for the first time is i was trying to lure the zombie into the right spot of the cauldron and it got too close to me and knocked me off the platform so, so i took my first skyblock death but at that point i'd already been able to trade with villagers for all of my diamond tools and stuff yeah. so i i just went to them and i traded more stuff until i had them again to quickly wrap up what i've been doing uh the rest of the week uh the block bank is complete i just need staff so i just need to add villagers um already though i've been trading a lot of stone for quartz which is fantastic because we're clearing a lot of stone from the area and i don't necessarily need more stone on the server so um having um villagers as uh, bank tellers that are going to give us blocks that we can then use in the city is uh, was a pretty smart idea. I'm quite happy that I thought about it. Uh, so I'm quite happy with the floor. The floor solution was simply putting redstone lamps in the floor and make them look like floor tiles that light up. I, it, it doesn't, it looks very Minecrafty. It doesn't look very, you know, modern city banky, but like there's nothing I could do. I need to light this thing up if we're going to have villagers running around inside. Yeah, definitely. Um, did have some email and some YouTube comments come in saying like, there's a solution. It's called a mob switch. And that wasn't my point last week. Uh, that turns off mobs for the entire server, which we don't want to do because we have farms that need them. It also turns off mobs for all the other players on the server, which we don't want to do because maybe they want mobs. You know, like maybe, you know, Cosmic Dancer likes chasing creepers i don't know um it's a fun jab at cosmic dancer i know she doesn't uh the the, the thing is f you know for for that kind of a thing if i didn't want mobs at all i would just play in peaceful or play in creative mode uh this for me was more about controlling where the mobs are going to go in player builds where you don't necessarily want um, those guys to show up a really good example is that we have turned off uh wandering traders and patrols on, yeah. on the Citadel because those drove me crazy uh, wandering through my city, uh, being inside of buildings where they're not supposed to be. It's like, you're breaking my design. <laughs> yeah. You, you are not aesthetically pleasing, please leave. <laughs> so we turn them off. And I, I don't necessarily think a command would be the best way to do it for mobs, but I think having more control uh, over that kind of stuff would be better. We had another couple of emails that were actually really cool, but we just don't have time to get into them this week about like block assignment and like having certain blocks be non-spawnable. And it was some really in interesting intelligent ideas too. Some of them over my head, not, not as technical, but um, I've also started framing some buildings outside in the modern city and man, is it starting to make a difference? And it's mm -hmm. just netherrack boxes. Like it's just, we're, I'm just building giant cubes. 
but boy oh boy uh does it start to feel cool when you're up on top of one of those things looking down or you're at the street level and you're looking up and you're going to see where the city skyline is going to be uh it's not going to be a big city but it's going to be kind of like one of those little lego you know city grove type situations like I, i'm really looking forward to getting getting more done with it it's going to take a while but i think it'll be worth it in the end it's certainly nice when you get to look at the height that you've got and realize, yeah, that's actually going to feel like a city from standing at the central cross-section of all of these roads. And you'll mm-hmm. find, like, yeah, there are four or five buildings that you can see in either direction, which are, you know, a few stories tall. And that, if nothing else, starts to feel like you're in a city, even if it doesn't feel like a city, from the outside when you're flying into it in the first place, you know. Yeah. And there are some people who built modern cities in survival or creative Minecraft that look like real cities just in terms of the amount of builds that are there, but that takes months, if not years, for mm-hmm. the average player and you've got to be using you know world edit or something to copy and paste floors of these buildings if you want to do it in yeah. a reasonable amount of time yeah we're not, i'm I, for me i'm i'm going to be designing i think a couple of buildings from the inside out just to kind of get the scale right but then after that we're going to start hiding farms and stuff inside them and it's not really you can't really go to every floor uh you know you can just you can there might be one or two maybe a penthouse you know maybe people will be living on the top floors just to have kind of a home base when you're in the area but um i think most of it's just going to be outside shells you know i'm not going to worry too much about that although it was funny when i was roughing out the buildings we kind of took a guess at five blocks per floor to give you like four blocks of headspace plus a block in between. Now, technically, we're probably going to be doing more than that. But the biggest building there is still only 10 stories. Yeah. So you're just like, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. This is only like, I think the height level is like 157 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not that tall. Like, there's lots of cities that have buildings that are a lot taller than 10 stories. But in Minecraft, because everything gets a little bit chunky, you know, like you have to be, I want to be, conscious of not creating these crazy high buildings that you can't even really see the top of you know when you're on the ground like i kind of wanted to feel like a big city but not not like downtown new york sort of stuff yeah yeah and it's it's the kind of thing that i've been thinking about a lot when i've been uh, working on these mountains as well is the the scale compared to the player the height it's supposed to be and how realistic i can make it given that you know take for example i just googled mount kilimanjaro is nearly 6000 meters it's 5895 meters in minecraft it can be a maximum of 256 and that's if you start at bedrock so yeah. there there's only so much height you can put into these things and it really is just about the scale and the feel of it you know it's going to feel mm-hmm. a little bit like a lego set but in this case a lego set on a, a, a larger scale compared to the figure um and yeah, I, I've been, like like you, I've been framing out all of the, the mountain peaks and stuff before I build them, and it really does help to get a feel for the space when you know, okay, there's going to be a mountain there, and it just looks like a kind of line drawing of a mountain. It's a sketch at this point, but I've been doing pretty well with that. That's the my, my last thing for this week is, yeah, I've, I've gotten the first two front sides of these mountains finished, basically the two that are going to be the most prominent things when you're looking at them from the ski village and i've taken a couple of shots actually of the entrance to the mountain area from roughly where the ski village is on the border and it looks really good especially now that we have an optifine pre-release and i can turn the level of fog up and down um it it really adds something to the kind of mist on the mountain tops kind of feel especially because i don't play with clouds on or anything like that because then the clouds would be coming 
you know, horizontally out of the faces of some of these mountains because that's how high I build them. But um, yeah, the topmost one of those, I think, is still only at about Y210. So I still have, you know, 50 or so right. blocks of headroom above that. Um, but it's been it's been quite the process. It's been basically my entire Twitch live stream has become me chatting to people and building mountains now. And I'm still having a lot of fun with it, surprisingly. I'm not burnt out on placing stone blocks yet. Uh, probably some 60,000 blocks in to this project at this point. But uh, yeah, that's that's been the, the mountain update for, for this podcast. I think we should get into the news because we have a fair amount of news this week. Yes, we do. And uh, I think what we'll do is we'll uh, go through the bullet points of uh, the new snapshot, uh, but then we're going to be discussing it as kind of our main topic, along with a couple of other things that you wanted to get to. But yeah. we'll just kind of read through this first, get to some email, and then get back into, into the snapshot. So, of course, a Minecraft snapshot 20W07A came out last week. Uh, the long short of it is that Enderman can now pick up some of the nether blocks. Enderman will no longer pick up nether rack. They gave hoglins some actual functionality. Details for that are on Minecraft.net. Added piglins. Again, the details are going to be on Minecraft.net. We're going to talk about this kind of stuff in a little bit too. The wither can now be summoned using soul soil as a base. Netherite blocks can be used for the base of a beacon. And netherite ingots can be used to fuel a beacon. Weird flex, but okay. Fixed bugs of note are slime blocks moving by pistons often fail to bounce up the player. I'm surprised this wasn't talked about more. I think this is one of the biggest problems with like elevators and slime block launchers. Yeah. I feel like if this is fixed, then we could be seeing some new and improved um, <laughs> fun player mechanics. Yeah I, yeah. I just, I like the idea of just like, you know, dropping into a space and having a slime block punch you off the side of a, yeah. of a, of a cliff because now that the elytra opens so easily, I, it could be really fun. If it's more um, consistent, certainly hope so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Hoglins hitbox was way too small. That's been fixed. I think they actually had the AI of pigs when they released them last I'm week. I'm pretty so. sure they did. Yeah. Yeah. So everything there has been, has been updated. Uh, and fire did not burn items that has been changed. The only items that will survive in fire are now uh, netherite items as designed. Yes, uh, we also had, like I said in the uh, the previous segment, a, uh, a pre-release of Optifine. There was a preview version that actually came out on, I believe, Tuesday this week uh, while I was streaming the pre-1, and now we have a pre-2, which I haven't really had much time to test aside from taking a couple of foggy screenshots of my mountains. Optifine is officially declared to be 91% complete as of Friday, February 14th. They said that on the Reddit page and on Twitter. Uh, it may be slightly more so at the time of this recording, but I have a feeling that we're probably not going to see Optifine for another week or two. Uh, mm. Features as yet not working in these preview versions include the all-important shaders, anti-aliasing, anisotropic filtering, render regions, custom skyboxes, and possibly more. So it's still not quite the Optifine we know and love, but it is nice to hop into the game and use the zoom key every now and again. <laughs> for me it would be connected textures like i if, if yes. those are working then that's kind of the biggest thing that i notice when i don't have optifine is uh, is the connected texture thing uh i have a small addition uh meet a minecrafter ethiopian ethiopian park project uh it's a youtube video from minecraft uh and i i just thought it was a really cool example of a community helping its city design a green public space using minecraft it's an excellent video it's really informative 
Uh, it's only about six minutes worth of watch. I, you know, I just thought it should get a mention because uh, I went out looking to see if there was any Minecraft Dungeons news and I stumbled upon this. And uh, I wish I had seen it sooner. It's really cool, especially as someone that's building a city in Minecraft. It was really neat to kind of like hear about how they approach green spaces and what's important from a city perspective and how they used Minecraft to uh, get both... Um, I, well, all walks of life, people that were not techie, people that were techie, people that were educated or not educated could communicate using Minecraft what they would want in a public park space. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, that's that's very cool. I think videos like this are probably what I would go to the Minecraft YouTube channel for at this point, um, because I feel like they're putting out fun other content of like, you know, 10 things you might not have known about this and that. And it's, it's kind of cool as a, a promotional space. But the content they've been making about dungeons and these looks at the broader Minecraft community and applications of Minecraft. I remember they did one uh, sort of recently about a, a theater director and writer who had been using Minecraft in a theater context and you know explaining how i think she and her son were connecting through minecraft and how it kind of be became a, an important part of their becoming closer as a family and so there's some really interesting projects people are using minecraft for that are a little bit off the beaten track if you're just a survival player so i think it's it's probably a great idea to check this out i'll actually watch this later um after we're done with the podcast because that does sound really interesting and once again went a little bit under the radar for me Speaking of connecting with families, actually, we've got an email to that effect. Do you want to read the first one? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we'll circle back to our thoughts on the snapshot after the email segment, as Joel said. So uh, this one comes in from Alan B, and the subject is bringing the family together. Hey, Johnny and Joel, I caught your episode last week when you read that email about the father bonding with his stepdaughter over Minecraft. My wife and I have an autistic daughter. She's almost six now, and I have autism as well. We've struggled in the past communicating with each other and getting along, but she watches Minecraft videos on YouTube when she's allowed tablet time, and we got her Minecraft, Minecraft Bedrock Edition on Nintendo Switch for Christmas. We've been playing together as a family ever since, and it has really brought us all closer together. We're able to communicate with each other more effectively. It's become a staple in spending time together over these colder winter months. I also want to add that Pixel Rifts and the Minecraft Let's Play slash tutorial on YouTube has been paramount to us learning the game and helping us guide what we should be doing and teaching us the ins and outs so we can better explore on our own and be more confident players. Thank you both for making the content that you do and having so many family-friendly videos, podcasts, and being content creators that I can trust when my daughter wants to watch YouTube videos. Wow, we should should hire this guy as a, an advertiser for us. <laughs> um, just wanted to share my appreciation for you two and your hard work. Looking forward to listening to many more of your podcasts and watching more of your videos. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Alan. Well, thank you so much, Alan. That's incredibly sweet of you, and, and thank you once again for calling out the... Uh, the Minecraft survival guide in that. I am still surprised that anybody playing Bedrock Edition can learn from the survival guide, considering how Java-focused a lot of the stuff I do is. But no, it's great to hear that you're uh, able to come closer together as a family through Minecraft. That's always really heartwarming to hear. I think it's really cool to hear from parents that are playing video games with their kids as opposed to just allowing kids to do it and yes, monitoring it. absolutely, like, yeah. Sitting down and experiencing it is a, is a great... A great way to do it and i think actually that park video that ethiopian park video illustrates that you don't have to be a gamer to be able to understand minecraft and kind of engage with your kids when when you want to um when you want to learn and see what they're up to and you might even find that you you like it yourself i think we've had emails to that effect in the past um we have another email from oliver m uh we have uh, a little bit here it says hi johnny and joel I have autism and have been playing Minecraft since beta 1.2 when my big brother started to play. 
I don't like to play single player, but I am yet to find a good community to play with. My brother made a server, but playing on that didn't last as his interests changed. I would like to thank you for showing me about the community around autism in Minecraft. Do you have any other community servers you could recommend to me? Johnny, why did you stop playing Decidedly Vanilla? Because it seemed like it was going so well. And has Joel put anything on YouTube regarding his modern city build? I'm hoping to become a patron soon. Thank you for everything. The podcast is amazing. Oliver. Oliver, thanks so much for the great email. That's amazing. Uh, I'm glad to see that uh, the references and uh, resources that Johnny brought up, I think a couple episodes ago, were useful. Was it Was it Minecraft Father? What was the... Uh, Autism Father is his Autism Twitter Father. handle. Uh, Stuart Duncan. Yeah. And, yeah. and Autcraft is the server. Uh, I don't have any other communities that I could recommend because um, when Oliver wrote us, he let us know that he's a young man. And I, and I, I hesitate to recommend any kind of communities that I'm not having firsthand experience in. Yeah, However, if, you, if you've got those kind of resources like Autism Father Online, maybe they might know a, a friendly, family-friendly space for uh, either just general Minecraft play or uh, Minecraft spaces that are... Uh, welcoming to to people that uh, have autism or are part of that spectrum of of community, uh, so maybe reach out online and see see what else you can you can find. And if our listeners have any recommendations, uh, email us at thespawnchunks at gmail dot com, uh, and uh, we'll try to pass on relevant content um, yeah. to to um, to people should they need it. Maybe what we'll do is just maybe include it in future show notes so people can go and retrieve it should they should they want to. Um, as far as the YouTube videos go for me, uh, I don't have anything currently on YouTube about the modern city. I stopped making YouTube videos for from the Citadel around the time that I was working on the fortress farm uh, all of my youtube videos are simply just edited versions of streams because i don't have time to record youtube stuff separately because of the changes that youtube has gone through in the last few months which we won't get into right now i've just decided that my time has been better spent on twitch i am very regular on twitch uh the vods last for two weeks so if you want to go and watch some of the uh recorded content from the citadel uh almost every week there is new stuff and i am in the city pretty much every week so you, there's there's stuff to see on the vod on twitch.tv slash joel duggan but while i have plans to return to youtube i know that it's a kind of a good space to be in as far as discoverability and directing people to twitch um i'm just struggling right now with finding the time to edit down the videos that's ma mainly my bottleneck right now is just time yeah it makes sense and time is part of the reason decidedly vanilla ended as well so that's kind of a, a solid segue there i think um decidedly vanilla ended because various server members none of whom were full-time even i wasn't a full-time content creator at that point uh were becoming inactive uh, like like oliver's older brother their interests started to change they weren't really playing minecraft as frequently and unlike servers like hermitcraft where players are effectively full-time creators and a lot of them are able to play around the clock uh it felt a little bit like playing single player on a server at that point and you would log in and be able to interact with a couple of things they had built here and there but i was also on an island and i felt like while i was spending time on that island i may as well have been in my single player world at the same time my survival guide series was growing and i was having much more success with that in fact if you go back and look at the numbers on the last episode of decidedly vanilla i put out versus the survival guide episode from the same week so many more people have gone back and looked at survival guide right now the the dv episode has i think five thousand views and the survival guide episode has many times more than that so it's um yeah it's re it's really just a matter of where 
it was most valuable for me to focus my time and lots of people were getting so much out of the tutorial series i just really felt it was a better use of my time to help people learn the survival game it's also so difficult to keep two vanilla survival series running side by side and we talked about this when uh, python was on the show uh, a couple of months ago and it, it's it's really difficult in in terms of running my survival guide series and skyblock it's been okay because those two are very different experiences and skyblock is all about being able to harvest resources so that you can build you know platforms around you and 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 that kind of thing it's a lot more focused on the technical whereas with survival guide everything is focused on having a world and what you can do with that so that's okay but then a survival world and another survival world you sort of split your time evenly between the two there really it feels like you're dividing your time up and you don't feel like you can put all of your effort into one series and also the other so it, it just felt like yeah. half of my time was becoming you know wasted effectively at that point um but yeah since then obviously survival guide has done really well so i feel like it was it was worth it i backed the right horse in that race i think um and yeah, as as far as finding a multiplayer server which suits your preferences, uh, Oliver, it, it's a difficult task. And decidedly vanilla was that for me for a while. But like I said, people's tastes and interests change and eventually sometimes community servers like that break down and move on. So um, good luck. It's a challenge, but hopefully you will find a good home soon enough. So I guess we can flip back over into uh, the the snapshot discussion because they as even though it was a we'll say incremental change from the week previous, still a lot got added. Like, a, yes, a, there's a lot to kind of, uh, to dissect here. Um, I want to start by pointing people to, uh, slice lime on YouTube, who does a snapshot video a day or so after the snapshots come out. Sometimes it takes them longer than not, than not. Um, obviously, uh, a developer at, at Mojang, um, really always an excellent job of breaking down very succinctly what the new changes are. Uh, and then you've got other members of the community that you can go and find like details, the, the, the putting through things through the test of time and the test of technical stuff. You can find a lot of those videos as well. But one of the things that Slice Lime mentioned uh, actually answered a question that you had, Johnny, last week, which was where are nether fortresses going to be spawning now that we have all these different biomes in the nether? And the answer is nether wastes and soul sand valleys. Uh, this was a correction in one of Slice Lime's videos, and uh, it turns out that they will always spawn in wastes and soul sand valleys. They can extend into crimson and warped forests if they border them, but they will not originate in a crimson and warped forest. So now yeah. we know where nether fortresses are going to be. That makes sense. I'm not sure what the original spawning structure is. You know how like a stronghold will always have a portal room, and I think stronghold generation starts with a downward spiral staircase or something like that there are, there are definitely like individual points that form the basis of it tests that it can spawn the structure there and then it builds out the rest of the structure from that point when world generation mm -hmm. happens so presumably you could have quite a large section enter a crimson or warped forest if just the single you know maybe like a a single tower or one of those crossroads sections or a staircase or something can fit into a small amount of nether waste and soul sand valley so i don't think it's going to be particularly more difficult to find nether fortresses was the my, my main concern was that if they only spawn in specific biomes and these new biomes are everywhere what is that going to mean for players who are heading into the nether for the first time trying to find a nether mm. fortress it doesn't seem like it will be that impactful on world generation 
If anything, I think it's going to be really cool. You might be able to find some really neat looking nether fortresses where if it spawns on the edge or uh, near a uh, a border between a crimson or a warped forest and let's say like a soul sand valley or, or something else, then big chunks of that fortress going into the crimson um, forest are going to look really cool. Yes. At the very much least, better... it's going to have like basalt pillars coming down around it and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Much better than if it had just stopped, you know, like if it just stopped cold. Because yeah. I find like even when some of the nether fortresses that I found in the current version of Minecraft, when they stop, they don't necessarily just stop in a straight line. They kind of like break apart. It looks like the 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 fortress path just kind of like crumbles to something. Yes. Um, or there's like a big nether rack mountain in the way, but like it, it's never just a straight line. It doesn't end on like a chunk border or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, piglins and hoglins, then. First impressions. Let's start with piglins, because they feel like the most significant addition, since hoglins mm -hmm. were in the last one, and they were just kind of added to in terms of AI and their place in the world. How do you feel about piglins so far? Uh, I think they look really cool. Uh, they're uh, a hostile mob. They're not a passive mob, like or a neutral mob, like a zombie piglin. Uh, they will attack you straight up uh, when they see you. Uh, you, uh, which I, I guess I like, you know, it's, I, I don't know what, uh, the, the spawning mechanics keep them into crimson forests and some in nether wastes. Yeah. So where you're building your nether builds, it's going to matter if you don't want piglins spawning. I actually don't know the light level at which they spawn. Is it the same as zombie piglin? I have not checked that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that either. I would imagine it's probably very similar. So you either have to, to light the crap out of your builds in the nether and hope nothing spawns in them. Uh, or you make sure that you're building things in places where um, you don't want stuff to spawn or, you know, use slabs and other glass and other things that um, will not uh, allow them to spawn on them. Um, so that could be problematic when you're trying to spawn proof or safe proof the nether. Um, we've got zombie pigmen that spawn in my nether hub all the time, but they're not aggressive, so it doesn't really matter. Um, I, I think they sound really cool. Uh, something that I, I noticed in, in the Sly Slime videos, he, he pointed out all the new sounds. Uh, <laughs> they have a ridiculous kind of like, ooh, snort when you give them gold. Like when they right. find something yeah, they yeah, like, yeah. they have this distraction moment where they're like, they stare at it for six, six seconds and they kind of do like a golem, like my precious kind of thing. <laughs> they do uh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, but they but they basically stop and they go, ooh, and it's, it's, it's quite funny. Uh, and then they have the standard, you know, like grunt, die, all that kind of stuff. Uh, nothing too out of the ordinary there. Um, they, I think they drop, what was it, pork and whatever they're holding. Um, yeah, they, they, they tend to drop um, whatever equipment they have, usually either a yeah. crossbow, a gold sword, yeah. and some amount of gold armor. But they don't spawn with that stuff all the time. Um, the weapons, they will. I don't think I've seen many unarmed piglins uh, because they end up hunting hoglins for food, um, which is kind of a neat thing. They don't do it all the time, though, so they just seem to do it whenever they have large enough numbers that they think they can hunt the hoglins down, or when a single hoglin can be kind of picked off of the group uh they will hunt in packs and other piglins in the surrounding area will try and join the hunt so yeah that's that's an interesting dynamic to them as well but it means they all have to be armed in order to take on a hoglin in the first place yeah and i mean and this brings us into the hoglins now having um you know ai and the hoglins will also attack the player uh they will um they can, well, when you kill them, you get like rotten flesh and pork. Apparently, it's really abundant. Apparently, you can make a hoglin farm and get like the most food in Minecraft. Like it's, it's <laughs> actually quite easy to get a lot of stuff dying. I, I find it 
interesting that the Hoglin-Piglin relationship was described as an ecosystem uh, in terms of, because they're not hunting them for sport, I guess, because that would be bad, wouldn't it? Environmental people. But yeah. if they're hunting them for food, you've got piglins hunting hoglins for pork. So we know they're not vegan? Yeah, right? it's, it's, it's a weird, <laughs> it's a little... like, vaguely cannibalistic kind of thing. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be like humans hunting chimpanzees for meat. Yeah. It, it feels very odd to me. And, and it's strange. It's like bipedal, it's like the, the two, two legs good, four legs bad kind of situation. Yeah. And I, I can understand how that works because presumably the piglins need something to eat. Um, and the leather makes sense because their clothes seem to be made out of leathery type of materials. They have little gold belt buckles and stuff as well. So I feel like in terms of the design of piglins, they're actually pretty well designed. And I was surprised at first that we didn't see the new zombified piglin model making an appearance in this snapshot. But then I thought that was actually probably a good idea. First, so that players who are testing the snapshot can easily distinguish between the piglin and the old zombie pig man. And also so that people who are paranoid about the zombie pigmen going away can realize that, no, these two things are still in the game coexisting. Piglins are not replacing zombie pigmen. They are right. changing the model of zombie pigmen to make them look more like piglins, but the behavior of them is going to be the same. I think from the neck down, they are still the same texture. It's just the head that is changing. So, yeah, I, th I think it was probably a good move to make sure that the zombie pigman still had... A presence in this snapshot so that all of the panic about you know zombie pigmen going away gold farms going away etc can die down a little bit i think the texture is very similar it's it's uh i think the if i remember correctly i think the body texture re reflects some of the clothing that the pig the piglin have as opposed yeah. to just whatever it was before the same they're the same colors they turn pink and green and they have like half a face and all that kind of stuff um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's a smart thing to kind of introduce them in, in slower chunks. Cause if it was too much, um, not only would you have every YouTuber tripping over their words, trying, trying to call, yeah. cause, because I don't know, like, um, I mean, piglins is easy enough. I still have a hard time not calling hoglins piglin beasts. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just feel like people are going to call like i i don't know whether piglins is going to be something that rolls off the tongue all that often i mean if you're doing a technical video sure people are going to take the time to say it right but i'm kind of wondering what the community at large is going to end up calling piglins zombified piglins because that's not going to be something it's a mouthful that it's a mouthful you know like they're are they going to call, call them zombie pigs you know like that 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 could be the, the what I think happened. I think the old zombie pigman name is probably still going to stick. I would not just be surprised. Stick, yeah. I would not be surprised if people just call the regular piglins pigmen, uh, because right. that also distinguishes yeah. them more from the hoglin a little right. bit. And it, yeah. I, I don't know. There's there's a little bit of like crossing the streams happening a little bit there. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. How have you have you tried out the bartering mechanics, or have you just seen that in in videos? I unfortunately haven't had time. No, I didn't. I didn't get into the snapshot for twenty. To, uh, 7a i didn't get into 7a but yeah. i i've watched it a fair bit and already there's a decent exploit uh i believe it was doc m and i can't remember the other sidecraft um person um but also il mango there's three of them that i've watched videos i would assume and methods was involved somewhere. methods it was it was methods yeah. thank you yes. yeah yeah uh so essentially if you when the zombie pigman picks up the gold um that you barter with them um they pick it up and they drop the other item that they're giving immediately and that that item ranges from a, a, a bunch of stuff and i'll let you get into that but um when you kill them immediately they drop both the gold ingot 
and the item that they've already put on the ground is already there. So if you are killing them fast enough and giving them gold ingots fast enough, you essentially get your gold ingot back as well as the item that you bartered for. Yeah. So it's just free stuff. It takes a little bit of setup, but it's not that complicated. It uses a really interesting mechanic about both uh, hoglins and piglins that are in, in um, that are engineered in different ways. Piglins will avoid slash run from uh, the soul fire. So soul fire torches, soul fire lanterns, and soul fire just kind of lit on fire on the ground, which means that you can control them. If you, if you have them spawning in a place where there's a torch, a soul fire torch rather, they will just run from it. And if you can get them to run off a platform, you can kind of direct them and funnel them into a into an area and then farm them. And so what they were doing was using this uh, mechanic to herd the piglins to a location, uh, give them a gold ingot, kill them because they had taken fall damage, and then um, use a little um, redstone elevator to bring the uh, ingot back up and give it to the next one. <laughs> and that's yeah. it. It was just this constant cycle. And so they were just harvesting tons of stuff. Uh, and uh, I would imagine that's not how it's intended to work. I would imagine that the idea is that the gold ingot is supposed to be lost. You're not supposed to get that back. Um, so I would expect that to be changed. However, those videos are still worth watching because of the way that they explain the pathing mechanic, similar to your blaze firm that you mentioned earlier. And I just think it's really cool that Moying is putting these kind of pathing and control mechanics into the game. Alistair and I were really frustrated on the weekend trying to move villagers around, trying to get zombies to do what we wanted. Zombies will track you, so it's kind of easy to push and pull them around, but villagers are a pain in the butt. And the fact that you can now at least control hoglins and piglins with uh, soul fire for piglins, and I believe it's warped, is it fungi or warped mushrooms? I think it's, it's called warped fungi. It's warped fungi, yeah. Warped fungi, the, yeah. The hoglins. So the little, the little, the little blue, the new blue ones, uh, the hoglins don't like them. So you can plant them on the ground. And in a similar way to a cat repelling a creeper, the hoglins will just run the other way, uh, which is great because it gives you that kind of control. It's, it's, it's a specific thing in game. And uh, it, it's, it's nice that they've thought that far ahead. It makes farming them if you want to do that an easy thing to do you know you make a spawning platform that's going to fill up with hoglins and then you put you know fungi on one side the warped fungi they're just going to run the other way yeah. and it, it yeah it, it 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 takes some understanding of the game but it doesn't gate it behind like really complicated redstone uh you could make it as complicated or as simple as you want. And I, I think it was, I think it's kind of neat. It also provides a way to protect yourself. Like if you want to build a place, you know, a house in a crimson forest, you probably want to put a bunch of crimson fungi and planters out front because it'll just keep the bad guys away. Yeah. Um, the crimson fungi actually breed hoglins. Uh, so the warped mm. ones are the ones that they run away from. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised right. that, um, you can't ward them off just by holding a warped fungi, but then I guess it's probably easier to code and calculate if it's a block that the thing is placed on, right? Um, so I was right. I was trying to wave a mushroom under their noses to, to ward them off, and they still came in and attacked me the first time I tried it. But then I realized, yeah, it has to be has to be planted. But the the crimson fungi are their favorite food, and they they breed with those. Which does that make hoglins the first hostile mob that we can breed? I don't think you can really breed any others. Um, I think you're right. I think the only uh, 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 outside of breeding villagers and turning them into zombie villagers, that's the but that's that's a two step process, not a single. Yeah, process. that that's that's the other example I was going to make. That's the only other time at which we have that level of interaction with a hostile mob, which makes them kind of unique. And especially if they are meant to be your food source in the Nether, if they're the only thing that drops like reliable, recognizable food, 
then then that's a good thing. Although I do kind of wish it wasn't just regular pork chops and regular leather. I it agree. seems it seems kind of boring to me. Um, and I I kind of wish that they just dropped like hoglin hide or like a really big pork chop somehow, like something that makes yeah. it a little bit more nethery, a little bit special that wasn't just like rotten flesh again. Um, yeah, just hoglin hide that makes really big books or something. I don't, I don't know. Just just something a really something maybe a really good use. example of something unique and different would be the um, phantom membrane, right? Yeah, potion, yeah, potion exactly. of slow falling. Use it to repair elytra. I think those are the only two uses for it. But still, not. I don't have a lot of it, but I still wanted to gather some when it first came out. And when I have a phantom and I shoot it. I do collect that membrane because I know at some point I'm going to want a slow falling potion for something. Maybe maybe um, have them drop a hoglin tusk that brews a potion that maybe gives you, you gives you more knockback or something, you know, because the the hoglins when they attack you, they knock you back, they kind of throw you up into the air a little bit in the yeah. same way that iron golems do. Yeah. Um, like something like that would be kind of cool and would give them a unique reason to exist instead of, you know, I could just bring a pig from the overworld to the nether and effectively do the same thing. Yeah. Um, aside from the leather, but then you just get that from cows. Same deal. Yeah. I, 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 the only thing that I can see being a big hesitation on getting a tusk, which I think is a great example. And it, I just, my brain just kind of flipped to like, that eh, sort of sounds like poaching. And I kind of, I can sort of see... Yes, yeah. Mo no, Yang the, wanting to steer away from that particular thing. The, the but, real world implications of that, I agree, yeah. are not the best. But but at the same time, like we're also like people pile twenty cows into a single wide vat and boil them in lava. Like yeah. it's, there's a I lot mean, of things in Minecraft that are that people don't associate with the real world, <laughs> world yeah. real world, right? I so think ho- hoglins yeah. bear enough of a resemblance to real world warthogs as well mm-hmm. that I think there's maybe a little bit of a, a gray area there. Yeah. They, don't, they don't feel like illuminating yeah. any further. <laughs> but I agree. I I feel like they should they should at least drop something a little bit more unique to the Nether to 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 open up that kind of stuff like the the tech tree that they seem to be hinting at they want to expand on i feel like having hoglins and piglins drop something else um uh, would be unique although piglins i don't think need to drop anything specifically unique on death because they do so much with the bartering system yes man there's a lot of things that you can get from them there certainly are. I have the Wikipedia article forum open so I can give you a rundown of all of the stuff they give you. And now that the community has had a little bit more time to process the uh, the rough estimate of the chances of getting each of these items, the weight that they are given. Um, so the most common stuff you're going to get is stuff like soul sand, red mushrooms, brown mushrooms, flint, rotten flesh, crimson fungi, and individual nether bricks, not the blocks themselves, but the nether brick items. And those are roughly like a 9 or 10% chance, basically. It says 10 out of 109 is the, is the chance of getting any of those. Um, so yeah, you, you are, you're getting some stuff that you could probably acquire quite easily yourself, but in there we have the renewable crimson fungi, which is great because finding those and being able to take them back to the overworld so you can grow uh, crimson trees, crimson stem, or anything like that was going to be an issue when the only other place you could find crimson fungi was in the forests themselves. There was no way of getting them, they're not a drop from the nether wart blocks. So piglins are evidently the way to get those. Likewise, warped fungi, leather, raw pork chops, gravel, fire charges, and shroom light blocks are a slightly uh, more rare drop from them. They're the, the, the uncommon tier, I suppose. It's 4 or 5% chance, and you'll get those basically half as often as the previous set of drops. But then again, you have 
warped fungi being renewable. You have fire charges, which are a really great way of getting out of the nether if you don't want to have a aghast fireball your portal a whole bunch, but your portal is broken for whatever reason. Um, aside from that, there is also glowstone dust, magma cream, and ender pearls, another tier down, so you get those 1.8 to 2% of the time. And with a less than 1% chance, you have warped nylium, nether quartz, and obsidian. And this is quite significant because quartz in its raw, like, mind fresh out of the ore form is not really renewable. You can buy quartz blocks from trading. You can get those from stonemasons and so forth. But that's just the blocks. And some people wanted a renewable supply of nether quartz so that you could make, say, comparators or daylight sensors or anything that requires the raw quartz as a redstone, a, a, a component of a redstone crafting recipe. So... Actually having a renewable supply of that means that you can get your you know, quartz blocks from trading with villagers, you can mine all the quartz in the nether and then still trade it, barter it with, uh, with piglins, and that will still allow you to get a renewable source of quartz, which is going to be great for, for servers, especially servers that use nether quartz like for a lot of different projects. So I think that's a good move. You get between one and four of that, so uh, again, about the amount that you would get from an ore block which is not much for an individual trade and especially when you're getting it only one percent of the time but if you look at the the trading exploit video that the cycraft folks did they are still getting you know 1400 quartz out of trading for bartering for an hour using the the sort of automated exploitative system that they have set up so that's pretty cool there, there was uh and it was less it was less than that um i don't remember exactly but il mango bane a video just before the exploit where the process was as designed you would lose a gold ingot gain random item yeah harvest random item store it and he had the he had everything broken down i think it was around a stack or like just less than a stack of nether quartz just the raw nether quartz per hour uh it requires you to have an existing gold farm because you have to fill this dispenser with gold ingots yes like every so often just like shoots at a at a at a piglin um but there's no killing piglin there's no like you know you're still it's costing you gold but there are ways to harvest gold in the game so if you have that uh you know as a farm then you could potentially um potentially have a, a zombie pig sorry zombified piglin farm feeding <laughs> a piglin farm giving you all of these items yes uh Great to have a renewable, really rare. They seem to be leaning on the really rare for this up update. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing it a lot more. But at the same time, I use quartz more for building than I do for redstone stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I have a shulker box full of quartz for, for redstone stuff that, that if I just don't use it for anything, I don't make any blocks with it. I, if I just continue to get my blocks, which is the base for every other kind of building component for quartz, um, then... It's really straight. You can get a ton of quartz in five minutes from a villager if you've got enough uh, emeralds. It's a lot faster to turn carrots into emeralds and then emeralds into quartz blocks if you're yeah. going to build with it. Um, but I agree having a renewable source of both gravel and quartz is actually kind of cool. And gravel is a little bit more common than quartz, if I remember. Yeah, and this might actually be a really good way to farm gravel in the near future because I know lots of people want that for concrete now and while we don't have a way of farming sand renewably aside from the wandering traders' occasional appearances 
there is also an entire biome made out of sand and and mm. quite a common one at that so yeah i think it is good to have a renewable source of gravel gravel being native to the nether in some respects as well means that it's not out of character for them to have it and i think all of that stuff has been pretty well thought through um the next thing i wanted to touch on is the fact that you can now use netherite blocks to make a beacon of any size from tier one to tier four although you have to have at least nine blocks of uh, netherite in order to do that and of course that means hunting down ancient debris to convert into four netherite scraps and four gold ingots to make a single ingot of netherite and so i did a bit of maths and a full tier four netherite beacon would require you to mine 5904 ancient debris um thanks to gnome in our uh, patron discord who said that they found roughly 30 ancient debris in an hour i think it was 36 over the period of like 72 minutes which you know i think roughly works out at about 30 ancient debris per hour just by standard strip mining methods not kind of you know tnt carpet bombing the nether and finding all of the debris that way but assuming you find two ancient debris per chunk you would have to mine out nearly 3000 chunks in order to do that enjoy doing that and it's going to take you roughly 200 hours of just mining ancient debris if you want enough netherite scraps to turn into ingots to then turn into a netherite beacon so that's a lot of work um, that is a significant amount of work not even bringing up the fact that you probably want to use this netherite to increase the durability on your tools so you can do a lot more of this mining and maybe work on you know weapons and armor and stuff like that as well so netherite is in theory a very expensive beacon based material bit of like they said bit of a flex um if you want to do that and there is now a discussion happening about how rare netherite is and whether it should be part of this piglin bartering system as a very rare trait and I am here to argue that it shouldn't be, <laughs> because I like the fact that item rarity still exists, even though, in theory, I think it would be great if all of the stuff in Minecraft was renewable, so ultimately, in survival mode, we get to have the freedom of all of the blocks and items and stuff that you could, in theory, get from creative mode. That sort of feels like the ultimate goal in survival, is just to have an excess of something, for nothing to be scarce to you as a player, so that you have anything you really want at your disposal but i still feel like the value of netherite comes from its rarity and as soon as you can trade it that's the ball game and it's not going to be exciting anymore i think the same is true of diamond even though you can trade diamond tools and armor and anything you really want to make with diamond aside from jukeboxes and enchanting tables from villagers the individual diamond ore blocks and the diamond items are still going to be used as currency on servers so there is still a value to the fact that they cannot be farmed from any other process you have to go mining if you want raw diamonds and all of the diamonds that are in a server's economy say you know a server like hermitcraft for example they trade with diamonds and that's how they buy all of the stuff from their various shops that's all done with diamonds that the players have mined themselves or occasionally got from end city loot chests i guess so i kind of think that netherite scraps or ancient debris or anything shouldn't really figure into this piglin bartering system because people are going to find ways as the psychraft folks have already done to exploit that and have it basically be an afk farming system so that you right. can get as much netherite as you want overnight and then it's no longer special or new or interesting to me at that stage and i think that there's a a, a hard line to balance here because i'm sitting here looking at netherite like it's so rare and does 
not enough for me as a player. There might be other people that are very excited about it, but I'm not. So what, like what I'm just probably not going to interact with it very much. Yeah. If I find it awesome, I'm going to be excited. Oh, look, I was digging a tunnel through the nether and I found some ancient debris. Fantastic. Uh, or if I really want to make sure that, you know, one item or something I'm wearing or, or a tool is going to be faster or better or fireproof or whatever it happens to be, I will, I might seek it out, but I don't there. Well, I, we can't say there isn't or never will be because of course it's still a snapshot, but yes, you can build a beacon out of netherite. It does nothing. It like, it is. Yeah. There are no so new much effects or to anything. Do. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no, there's no effect that it doesn't add anything to it. So and I think the weird flex is just kind of like, you know, it's a fun sideways comment from the developers to be like, yeah, yeah. hey, you guys are asking for it, but we, we, it's easy to do, but it doesn't do anything like, yeah. in terms of that, like, that we was, can add it to the game. That phrase was actually in the changelog, by the way. That yes. wasn't us embellishing our news no. segment for the sake of like making a joke. They actually wrote that in the changelog on Minecraft.net. Yes, which I thought was very funny. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a way of saying like, this isn't going to do what you think it's going to do. Um, yeah. and, and this is where I kind of feel like, uh, if ancient debris was to do more, or if ancient debris was to be a little bit more frequent, um, let's just say maybe not as frequent as diamonds are in the overworld because people can get those fairly easily. I feel, uh, I've never had any trouble, but if it was more, somewhere in between where it is now and diamonds, in terms of its rarity, I think it would be a little bit more useful. I think people would be maybe a little bit more excited about it. But that, like that kind of time investment in a survival world to get a beacon of netherite blocks, it just does not equate to worth it. You know, like it yeah. just, it's you know now. Whereas the other thing that you mentioned with the constant you know search for um, available items, you know, like you build a witch farm, which takes a lot of work, but then you get redstone that's renewable and, and sticks and sugar. And I mean, not everything is all as useful as, as say the glowstone and the redstone. Um, but it's there and it's, it saves you from going to mine redstone. And if you're doing a lot of redstone on the server, then that's very useful, but it also creates gameplay. Like if you want, um, renewable nether quartz now, you have to learn about piglin you have to figure out how to farm them you have to learn about their behaviors make the farm do it in the nether which is going to have all kinds of like interactivity as things try to blow you up and attack you and knock you off the ledges of things that's exciting and fun strip mining the nether for netherite not exactly exciting and fun right yeah um so i i and i don't have an answer like i don't i i don't have a, a solution for this but i i i was hoping for more i think from from the the mechanics of the stuff that's being developed in the nether in terms of netherite uh in terms of um pig pig uh hoglin sorry hoglin drops like i kind of want them to open up this tech tree a little bit as they seem like they want to do and and maybe this is the way maybe this is the baby steps and they have to kind of like get feedback you know constructive feedback from from the community and, and kind of move forward with it but like i'm it's hard to criticize because like i feel like in order to do that i should also have an idea on how to fix it and i don't <laughs> yeah I, it's 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 really difficult to balance i think and in, in a way 
I think the netherite beacon thing is is primarily just because you can, not because anybody actually would. It feels mm-hmm. like the kind of goal that could be accomplished if, like on the realm of Vastan, you have like five or six people who are just interested in mining so that everyone else can build with the resources, and they log into Minecraft just to relax and, you know, clear out large sections underground and have fun that way, then that's that's cool. And, and I think that's it, it's an interesting balance as far as you know, it's not even a risk versus reward, it's time investment versus reward at that point. Yeah. And the only vague risk being that they typically generate near lava. Um so I think it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see how if the mechanics stay the same, how the community decides that Netherite fits into the grand scheme of things. If it is going to just be not worth it, if it's going to be something that you get occasionally on the off chance, or if it is something that everybody is going to be strip mining hours and hours for and get very little of it and then maybe rethink it, it like the serious dedication advancement says, rethink your life choices. Um, mm. We'll, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. Um, do, do you feel like um, emeralds are a good example of this going the wrong way? You know, like emerald ore being this rare thing that you can mine in the world and it gives you emeralds if you really want to break it down. But now that you can get emeralds from farming and trading with villagers and use that as the trading mechanic for them, emeralds to me are more of a just another thing I have to get a lot of. They don't necessarily have any kind of rarity, which is why they're not used as currency on a server instead of diamonds. Um, so I'm just wondering if if there's like if, if there's another way to address like some of the rarity of of some things in minecraft yeah i i i always just silk touch emerald ore blocks and hoard them like a dragon um <laughs> be, because because it's it becomes a rare block at that point because what it gives you is worthless because mm-hmm. ultimately like you can you can get four emeralds which is the maximum you can get from an emerald ore thing by trading a stack of carrots to a villager without trading discounts uh so i think it's 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 more a case of like that now becomes effectively one of the rarest blocks in the game to me and i want to have the block itself rather than its products so the value of it changes for me whereas you know maybe if there was a way to trade netherite scraps from piglins then i would be able to do some creative looking builds with ancient debris which i think would look great as like a corroded hull of a ship in some kind of like dry dock shipyard somewhere you know that's the kind of thing i expect creative builders will be having an absolute field day with but for survival you know i'm having to balance the idea that like i like this texture and think it could be used for cool stuff but it's also a valuable resource to me and also that valuable resource can be turned into a block that also looks very cool and can now be used for beacons it's it's a strange setup and what i imagine people doing if they wanted the netherite beacon appearance is to get precisely enough netherite that the outside of the beacon pyramid could look <laughs> like it was made of full netherite blocks all the way yeah. through but the inside is just gold that they've gotten from pigmen at that point i think that's that's probably the way we're going to see these things going the the netherite veneer i ironically covering the uh the gold you know it's like netherite leaf over the top of a gold yeah. thing because that's just the the new gem I, the new experience. i see myself if i get enough you know ancient debris i see myself using it more in a build and yeah. and just still walking around with my diamond tools being just like nah, don't really care i'll just make a roof out of it or you know make a path you know leading up to my front door out of ancient debris and again 
probably received the same comment from server mates like weird flex but okay yes <laughs> absolutely well folks at home will you be using netherite to make a beacon are you gonna put the time in the 200 hour challenge uh let us know of course the email address is the usual one but that's gonna be it for this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud as always to be a listener supported podcast if you get some value out of the show consider going to patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and putting some value back in pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can join our community of 166 patrons which is another increase from last week thank you guys so much for signing up you're getting us closer to our next milestone goal which is to record the podcast live in discord so that all of our patrons can listen in as the show gets made every week. Special thanks go out to our content engineers Cameron Sigelski, Greener Canuck, JD Williamson, and Yitz for their support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast with your friends. Just poke a friend in the arm and say, hey, they talked about Netherite again. You should go listen. Uh, it, also, I, I like to uh, r remind everybody that the email for the show is thespawnchunks at gmail.com. If you have resources for uh, autism or other related communities and Minecraft, please let us know. Uh, and if you have other questions and comments and things about the snapshot, keep those emails coming. Even though we don't get to every email on the show, it does direct the podcast in terms of our community uh, beat and where people want us to go. iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, and also YouTube is where you can subscribe and listen to the podcast. The RSS feed is on the spawnchunks.com and the patron only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I also have a couple of snapshot overview videos up there now. If you are hearing all of this, but you haven't really seen much of it yet, check those out. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work on The Survival Guide, mostly mountain building, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, you can follow me at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people We'll find you online everything i am up to online including my illustration and design portfolio is at joelduggan.com if you're interested in hiring me then just drop me a line there the citadel cafe is a podcast that i do with a couple of friends about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment recently we've talked about star trek picard talked about the expanse and uh, lock and key on netflix so if you're interested in those kind of things you can check that out at the citadel cafe at uh, uh, gmail.com that's the email address but uh the citadel cafe.com is, is the website you can follow me on youtube twitch twitter and instagram it's all just my name joel duggan really easy to find as i mentioned earlier i'm not really spending a lot of time on youtube right now but the vods are available on twitch.tv slash joel duggan thanks for visiting the spawn chunks the world outside is infinite hunt the hoglin